Okay, good morning, everybody. There's absolutely no doubt in my mind that God is speaking to us this morning, both individually and as a uh, church, because half of my message has already been preached and what Anna did with the kids and the words of the songs that we sung and what's happened. But I'm going to do it anyway, because I've put a lot of work into it. (laughs) And I know you're all hungry. (laughs) Well, first of all, I should say happy 2015, everybody. Um, I don't know how many of you um, watched back in 1985 the futuristic Back to the Future movie. Apparently that was set in the year 2015. So I have to say I'm a little bit disappointed that we don't have flying cars, holographic billboards, rejuvenation clinics or power lacing shoes, but it's a good year to be alive in anybody anyway, amen? (laughs) Uh, The message I have in my heart today is about God as the silent God. No one can do silence like God can. Can I hear an amen on that? Oh, you all know him then, okay. Our God has often been called the silent God. And there are many verses that confirm this in scripture and a long history of both God calling himself silent and people struggling with the silence of God. God says, you sinned and I kept silence. You thought that I was just like you. I have kept silent for a long time. I have kept still and restrained myself. Man says, will you keep silent and afflict us beyond measure? O God, do not remain quiet. Do not be silent and, O God, do not be still. God can be extremely loud. Scripture says that the voice of the Lord is upon the waters, the God of glory thunders. When I used to live in Arizona, which is where all my kids were born, um, our house was struck by lightning one night, and you know, obviously the thunder was right overhead, and the sound of it was unbelievable. God can be that loud. He can also be very quiet. We all know that he spoke to Elijah in a soft, still voice, and he can remain silent for hundreds of years. Uh, throughout history, Men have been perplexed by the silent God. I guess basically my message is what we need to do and part of our Christian journey should be learning to speak God. C.S. Lewis described it this way. The trouble about God is that he is like a person who never responds to one's letters. Or in today's email, today's terminology, never responds to one's emails. I wanted to talk about this subject to help us correctly hear and discern the voice of God from all the other voices that we hear, as well as to encourage those who are currently in a season of the silence of God, wondering where he is. He just can't get hold of him or seem to get any message from him. I hope by the end of this that you will discover that that's not actually the reality, that God is always talking to us. 1 Samuel 3, the boy Samuel ministered before the Lord <coughs> Excuse me. under Eli. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. It had been a very long time since anybody had heard from God. In the modern church, we seem to have adopted the belief that the Holy Spirit of God is guiding us and chatting to us every second. He is. But scripture indicates that it's not in the way that a lot of people I talk to and have met over the last 30-something years of being a Christian seem to think that God talks. 
or perhaps even the way that we want him to talk. It all seems to be personal direction that we believe he's giving us opening up parking spaces, telling us where to go on holiday and what to eat for breakfast. Some people that I've heard seem to know a very chatty God, but scripture does not describe him that way. We should always be careful to to align our beliefs about God and our interactions with him, with his word. Now we get this concept from our understanding of what it means to have a close personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And by the way, that's not a scriptural terminology. And because of the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, um, it sort of occurred to me that the Holy Spirit lives in our soul. When there's somebody living that close to you, it's easy to think that you know we're hearing from them all the time and chatting with them constantly. Now hear me out to the end here. I don't want anyone thinking, heresy. It's also because of verses like Psalm 139. Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit, you know when I rise. You know what I think before I think it, before a word is on my tongue. Lo, O Lord, you know it altogether. That verse says how well God knows us, not how well we know him. The New Testament says that even with the Holy Spirit residing in us, at best we see God as looking through a glass darkly. Here's what the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit's role is. First, to convict of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. When was the last time that we felt the Holy Spirit chatting to us about this? Jesus said he would send the Spirit to us to be our helper, our comforter, our guide forever, and our counselor. The Greek translation of this means one who is called alongside and has the connotation of someone who exhorts and encourages. (coughs) Sorry. (coughs) I should have left the frog in my throat at home. The Holy Spirit is much more likely to be cheering us on to overcome that sin than to finding a parking space for us. He also reveals to our minds the whole counsel of God as it relates to worship, doctrine, and Christian living. The Holy Spirit is just that, a spirit. So he talks about spiritual things and he leads us in the way that we should go in all spiritual things. I've spent most of my Christian life, you know, I love those kind of verses, you know, I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go or counsel you and watch over you. I'm like, yeah, well, what I want to do for a job and who I want to marry and, you know, all of this, I, I sort of thought it's, it's a personal thing. And it is, don't get me wrong, we should ask those questions and more fool you if you don't. We should be asking those questions, but the purpose of God is a corporate thing. It's about his body. It's not just about us personally. The Holy Spirit leads the way in the way we should go in all spiritual things. He gives glory to Christ in all things. How does this line up with the conversations that we have with God? Now here's an example of the kind of error we can fall into with our modern day belief of how the Holy Spirit is our BFF, which is best friend forever apparently, if you're not 12, and how he talks with us. And I've had conversations over the years like this myself or heard people talking like this. Bruce was in a meeting with someone who he knew very well and who'd been walking with the Lord for a long time. 
Um, he overheard her talking to some people and saying she'd been asking God for something every day. And God was ignoring her. She kept asking, and finally God said that the thing she was asking for would happen the following week. So the following week comes and goes and nothing happens. So she goes back to God and says, hey, what's the deal? And then she makes this statement. God said he lied to me about it because I was annoying him. How many people have heard a conversation similar to that? (laughs) No one's brave enough to put their hand up. Now, you can't say things like that around Bruce. You'll get in trouble. So he pulled her aside and had a little chat. He pointed out to her that it couldn't have been God because Scripture says God is not a man that he can lie. So it was a romantic idea of having a close relationship with God that she had built into her own head. It's this kind of belief and talk that has done a lot of damage to Christians and to Christianity. Yes, God can talk very personally and intimately with us. And yes, I do believe he can direct us to parking spaces. I always pray for them. And I've had some amazing ones open up at just the right time. But I've also had to go around the block a few times and park three miles away. But regardless of what happens, we better make sure that what we believe is God talking to us lines up with his word because in the beginning was the word and the word was God. Another one of the Holy Spirit's roles is giving believers spiritual gifts in order that we may function as the body of Christ on earth, showing forth his grace and glorifying him. The Spirit also produces fruit in our lives, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I can read it, so I didn't memorize that. The next time you have a conversation with someone who's saying, well, God told me this and God told me that and just seemed to have some kind of you know, close line to God, check out their fruit. Jesus said, by their fruit you shall know them. If they seem to hear a lot from God, but they're grumpy or impatient with their husband or wife or kids, just take note of it and think, okay, I'll maybe not quite believe what you're saying so much is from God. Uh, Jesse is currently preparing some material on the fruits of the Spirit that we're going to be looking at early this year. Um, When I was researching this message, I came across this uh, written by a Christian. I've got a secret. I'm not hearing God's voice very often. And by very often, I mean almost never. This can be very disconcerting. And it's made worse by the Christians I know who appear to have a direct line to God all the time. God is finding them parking spaces, telling them about apartments, practically giving them a to-do list every week. There have been times when I have had a deep sense of God's presence in my life and where I've also had a distinct sense of his voice in my soul. But the times I feel and hear him are hardly frequent enough to consider us in a relationship. Isn't that an amazing statement? Have you ever felt that way about God? It's like, wow, you're supposed to be the closest being to me, but I feel like, where are you? I hardly know you. Or where are you when it hurts? If I'm only relying on those rare experiences, I find myself pretty confused and disheartened, especially when I'm around those other people who apparently have coffee with Jesus every morning. 
And please don't stop having coffee with Jesus every morning. Perhaps just change the way you do it. And uh, I just alluded to Psalm 32 verse 8, and it was in the church newsletter this um, this week. So right there, there's God talking to us. That's how he talks. It's been confirmed in what Anna said and uh, what Ron did and the words of the songs this morning. Actually, I don't think God could have been shouting any louder to us in some of the things he's trying to say. Psalm 32 verse 8 says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go. I will counsel you and watch over you. We usually stop there. But God says how he does that. With my eye upon you. He, he does all of that watching us. You know, I get to look after Archer quite a bit. And congratulations, Anne. Um, having a grandson is the most amazing experience in the world. And um, also congratulations on having the third most gorgeous grandson that's ever been born. <laughs> so I get to look after Archer. Sometimes we wander out to the garden near the front of the property. Jesse and Angie are just starting to realise what having a garden in New Zealand is like as opposed to Arizona where the blistering sun burns everything up. So they haven't quite realised they've often got to pull those green things out that um, come between the brightly coloured things. And so Archer loves to wander out with me. Um, and because it's sort of, you know, near the road, it, it appears like I'm just weeding, pulling up um, weeds, obviously, if I'm weeding. But every sense within me is 100% attuned to where he is and what he's doing. You know, I'm like this, but actually my eyes are like this. Where is he? Where is he? And my ears, where is he? Can I hear him? Is he going near the road? You know, I obviously make sure he's nowhere near that. But that's what God is like with us. He guides us with his eye and with his ear. If I sat down and said, now, Archer, the automotive vehicles um, uh, go very speedily down the street. You know, he'd just stare at me and say, dog, or something like that. You know, he doesn't understand. Well, we're, <laughs> we're, we're like that with God. You know, we, we don't speak God very well sometimes. But he guides us with his eye upon us. And that is a great comfort to me. Now, as humans, we can only relate to things that we know or have experienced. It's one of our failings. I'm sorry, we all have it. We, we can't do anything more than that. So we assume that God is like us and that he communicates with us like we communicate with each other. He doesn't. Not all the time. He manages to sometimes. God tells us that our ways are not his ways and our thoughts are not his thoughts. It's a bit like a horse trying to communicate with an ant. That's the kind of difference. I actually think it's a miracle that we can communicate with God at all. It's totally by his grace. He's a spirit, an omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent, alien, all-powerful being. And we are flesh and blood on a little speck of dust in the universe. Yet he stoops down to make contact with us and makes us able to understand him. The minute I opened my eyes this morning, I got a picture of somebody trying to tune in a a dial of a radio, um, trying to uh, tune into a certain frequency, and that is exactly what we need to do with God. We need to learn, and it's something that can be learned, to tune in and listen to what he's saying. He is broadcasting constantly. We just need to learn to speak his language. He already knows ours. 
Mother Teresa said this, we need to find God and he cannot be found in noise and restlessness. God is the friend of silence. See how nature, trees, flowers, grass, we're just saying how great they are this morning, grow in silence. See the stars, the moon and the sun, how they move in silence. We need silence to be able to touch souls. Bruce and I talk about this a lot, about how we hear from God. It's kind of nice being married to him because he has to give me the advice for free. He, you will, the rest of you might have to pay for it if you come outside of work hours, but Mel and I are always, in fact, Melanie's my daughter, and she walks in the door, hi, mum, and then makes a beeline for Bruce, and they will talk to her a couple of hours until late at night. That's all right, I let it go. <laughs> I couldn't be more thrilled. So we talk a lot about how we hear from God, and he says that most of his Christian life is just doing what he has learnt and behaving in the way that the Bible teaches. He says the times that he can categorically state that God has spoken to him are actually few and far between. God doesn't need to announce himself. He often prefers to work behind the scenes. And he even lets us think that some of it was our own doing. A bit like if I put Archer on my uh, lap as I was driving and let him hold the steering wheel and he thinks, wow, I drove with Nina. Um, But actually he didn't. He just had his hands on the steering wheel. God is like that with us because he loves us so much. I can give you a personal example of this. One of the times that it was very obvious that God had spoken to and through me was through a blunder that I made. I was leading worship and playing piano in a church over in Masterton one morning, one Sunday morning. Before we started, I prayed. Now, you know, I've been around a while and I've got away with words and I was actually quite good at praying, but for some reason it didn't come together this day and um, I could hear myself, you know, it was one of those times, but you can't stop and I was starting to sweat and, you know, I thought, oh man, and so I sort of finished off with saying, oh, and thank you God for life. And uh, so we started into the first song and internally I was thinking, oh, thank you God for life, how lame was that, couldn't you come up with anything better than that, you know, how, how it goes. And man, that was pathetic, Linda, and all of that, that was embarrassing. But halfway through the song, Uh, I had this feeling come over me that was so strong, I literally could not physically play anymore, and I just stopped. I felt there were some people there who weren't thankful for life. So the music kind of comes to an awkward halt, and everybody's looking around, and there's that uncomfortable feeling in the room. I get that a lot. I don't know. It didn't help the atmosphere when I said I believed that God had shown me that some people would have been contemplating committing suicide. So you could have heard a pin drop in the place and the pastor was looking at me as if to say, oh, she's lost it. I get that a lot too, but I asked people to pray and some did and we went on with the service. So later that day, the pastor rang me up and said that after the service, two separate people had approached him um, who happened to be visiting that morning and both had been seriously contemplating suicide and got such a shock from hearing it from the likes of me in that way that they sought help. And one of them was the grown son of a couple who went to that church, and they had no idea. Ten years later, he's still alive. Uh, You know, now I'd like to take credit for this and just say, wow, wasn't that great? But it, it just all came out of a mistake that I made, or so I felt. 
I didn't receive any revelation from God beforehand that I was aware of. You know, you hear some people say, God told me that in the service so-and-so sitting in such and such a row, you know, it just sort of happened. Yet God has spoken and he was in it. He doesn't draw attention to himself. When we're submitted to him, he just does it through us anyway, whether we're aware of it or not, and we should all take great excitement from that thought. Even when I don't feel it, God's in me and he's working. Uh, Sure, I could have made a fool of myself. It wouldn't be the first time, but I would rather be wrong and look like a fool than be right and let fear stop me from helping somebody who needs help. God doesn't need a lot of words to make a statement. The Lord's Prayer has 66 words in it. The Ten Commandments have 179 words. The U.S. Declaration of Independence, pretty important document, 1,300 words. The European Union Regulations on the Sale of Cabbages, 26,911 words. The story of Job best shows the difference between how much God speaks and how much man speaks. After 37 chapters of Job and his friends complaining and sermonizing, and I challenge you to find someone who went through more than Job, when God finally speaks, he does only for four chapters and not once does he justify himself or try and explain the why God was, um, Job was seeking. In fact, he ended up, as God often does, challenging Job on his own attitude and called on him to repent. God is not accountable to man for his actions. Mankind is accountable to God for their actions. With the first three words that God speaks, Job is undone. Who is this? God is recorded as saying to Satan, there's no one like Job, no man is more righteous than him, and yet he says a very impersonal, who is this? God and Job had what we would call a close personal relationship, but when challenged, God says, who is this that darkens counsel without knowledge? Yikes. We do well to remember that as well as being pure love, God is a sovereign and all-powerful being. So God does end up speaking to Job for the longest continuous time that is recorded in Scripture. And after telling Job to repent, he then goes into great specific detail about nature and animals. This really cracks me up. To me, this is the humor in God. Here's poor Job going through the depths of despair in the deepest night of the soul that you could imagine. And he finally gets a reply from heaven. He finally gets the ear of God. And God opens his mouth to speak. And he says, Have you seen the might of the hippopotamus and his strong legs? Say, say what, God? Have you seen the storehouses where the snow is kept? Can you count the number of the clouds? What does that have to do with my problem? Everything. Everything to God that seems sufficient to explain it. We will understand a lot more about God if we pay attention to the creation around us, as we've heard and as we've sung about this morning. We need to be very careful about that phrase, God told me, 
because if he didn't, then you're in getting in the dangerous territory of um, taking the Lord's name in vain. God told me he lied, even in the context that that was said. It's not a statement we want to be making. I've already mentioned um, this. Paul the Apostle, who wrote a lot of the New Testament, so obviously was hearing from the Holy Spirit, said that his experience of God was now we see through a glass darkly. When you get home, pick up a glass. I tried this. Uh, pick up you know, a glass, see-through cup, hold it up to your eyes and, and walk around for 10 minutes. Try and watch TV, try and read a book, try and, apart from looking a bit odd, um, but try and function. That is at best how we receive God in spiritual things. And that's okay. Somehow God's going to get us through. Here's another C.S. Lewis quote on the silence of God. Meanwhile, where is God? Go to him when your need is desperate, when all other help is vain. And what do you find? A door slammed in your face and a sound of bolting and double bolting on the inside. After that... You may as well turn away. The longer you wait, the more emphatic the silence will become. I don't know about you, but I've been there several times in my Christian walk with our wonderful God. There are more examples of God's silence in Scripture than we may be comfortable exploring. We've already talked about Job experiencing the silence of God. So did Abraham as he planned to sacrifice Isaac. The Bible doesn't record God talking to Joseph during his many years in prison or to John the Baptist before his beheading. You'd think, God, at least I'm getting my head chopped off, say something. Jesus experienced the silence of God when he was on the cross. Now, if you hear nothing else that I say this morning, I'd love for you to hear this. Uh, Bruce preached a message that changed my understanding of the cross, of the cross and Christ forever. When Jesus Christ was in the Garden of Gethsemane, sweating blood and asking God to let this cup pass for him, pass from him, it was not because he was afraid of being crucified. Martyrs from other religions have died in that way and with boldness. The Son of God was not and is not a weakling. He endured the cross. He didn't shrink from it. He knew that the point was coming for the first time in his infinite existence that he was going to experience the silence of God. Of the Father's presence being removed. That is what he could not face because that's how great it is to be in the presence of God and to know him. That is why he wanted the cup to pass from him. And that is why he cried out, why have you forsaken me? I cannot take being separated from you. Yeah, this cross is horrendous and hideous and awful, but I can't take being separated from you. God's silence can tempt us to doubt, but it can lead us to a richer, more varied experience with him in surprising ways. And perhaps most of all, God's silence can create a hunger for him. When we're full, it's easy to be picky about what we want. 
in, in The Hobbit, they call it filling up the corners because they have about 17 meals a day or something. And so, you know, they just pick a little to, to fill in those corners. Sometimes we get like that spiritually, you know, we hear so much. We, ex- we actually experience a lot more of God than we think. And we're full. So we're like, oh, I'll just take that little bit or that little nugget. If, we, if God is silent, we get really hungry for him. We're going to take anything he gives us, right? But that's when we get the best stuff. Often we come to God and we're already full of our own ideas and our own plans and I've probably spent half my life praying this way. Well, God, this is what I want and this is how I want it and when I want it. Don't worry about why I want it. I just want it. And thank you. I love you. Amen. We pray, accomplish my will, God, not accomplish your will. Do we want God or do we want God to do something? Spiritual hunger can make us less picky for what God is saying. And if we allow it, it can make us live less on the you know, emotional high of spiritual experiences and instead make us grateful for every opportunity to hear, hear God's voice even when we don't feel it. So um, I'm not going to be too much longer, but here are five ways that we can hear from God even when you're in a season of silence. Creation, preaching, the Bible, other people, dreams. So I'll just go over each of those briefly. In creation, we've sung about it this morning. Psalm 19.1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. There's your chatty God right there. Looking up can answer a lot of our questions. It's pouring forth stuff. In fact, I've done this when I've been going through some really terrible stuff. I either go outside at night and look up at the sky or I head to the sea and I stand there. I look at the vastness of it and there's something in that that seeps into me like, yes, there is something bigger than me out there. It's okay. All of this is so far out of my control. Oh, it's okay. I'm going to be all right. There is, uh, there is a big God out there. Creation is continually speaking on behalf of God. Remember last year when Anja's wife Sarah did that painting, that gorgeous painting of the cactus up there. Every inch of that painting was infused with her talent and who she is. And that's exactly what creation is. Your garden that you have at home is God has um, meticulously and intricately designed that. And sometimes if you sit out and just listen to the bees buzzing, um, and, and then suddenly you um, look at a bumblebee and you realize, wow, aerodynamically he shouldn't be able to fly because his you know, body is too big for his wings. And then you smile. You think that's God's joke on um, you know, men because we know logically he shouldn't be able to do that. And right there you're getting a taste of the character of God and some of his humor, his design, his, you know, he can do the impossible. Creation itself is a message from the heart of God to us. So in preaching, uh, Jesus, uh, the disciples heard Jesus' words and then they responded to them. Now I'm a firm believer that a, sh- a sermon should not only teach us, but it should give us something we can go home this afternoon and do. We don't just want all that lofty knowledge. I want to be able to go home and live it. So here's what you can do today, best explained by Bob Goff. Quit waiting for God to give you a plan when you already know his intent. Love God. Love people. Do stuff. 
That's how Bruce and I live our lives. Whenever you're in a meeting where there's preaching going on, it's no coincidence. It's not by chance that I'm talking about the silence of God today if you're in a season of God's silence. And it's not mere fate that I even talked about suicide this morning. God is trying to get a message across. The third thing in God's word, Jesus said, man lives on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And he certainly left us words to live on. Do not put God to the test. Worship God, serve him only. Repent, resolve your anger. Be reconciled to anyone who has anything against you. Settle matters quickly. Anything that makes you stumble, anything, get rid of it. Love each other as yourself. Children, obey your parents. Give anonymously. Pray secretly. There's enough to keep you going this week. The list of specific directions that Jesus gave us is enough to keep us busy for the rest of our lives. Uh, The fourth thing is from other people. Obviously, we know that. Go talk to somebody that you trust or who knows you or you know who will tell you um, the truth and love. And in dreams... Scripturally, God often spoke through dreams. There's at least 21 instances recorded when we're asleep, we're vulnerable, and we can actually get our mind out of the way, and God can get in there and start to speak to us. Start asking God for dreams if you're hungry for him before you go to sleep. Just you know, bind anything else that would try and come speak to you in the night and say, God, I want to start having dreams. Talk to me about you and your word and your plan for me on this planet. It's exciting. Um, I'll skip over that bit. Okay, I'm coming to a close. Sometimes what we believe is God speaking to us is just our own human romantic idea of God. Sometimes it's our enemy. He can appear as an angel of light, so he can certainly sound like one. We can often fall into the trap of thinking, well, if it sounds evil or creepy, it must be the devil. Um, if it sounds good, it must be God. No, he can sound as good as, almost as good as he wants. And sometimes it's the Holy Spirit. It's our job to learn which it is and to be discerning. There's a reason that we need to be careful and test what we hear and I love you guys, and this is why I'm trying to um, and, and, yeah, bring this message. If we trust too much in a feeling or a method of hearing from God, then we can assume that every time we feel that way or circumstances line up in a certain way, that it's God. And I've known some very mature Christians who have fallen into sin and deception because they were like, but God always spoke to me that way and I knew that I knew that I knew that it was God even though it was something that totally didn't align with his word. Here's something else you can go home and do today. Set some time aside, whether it's five minutes or half an hour, whatever, and sit silently before God. Ask nothing of him but his presence. I don't know if you've ever tried it. I have. And you feel a bit silly. You feel uncomfortable. Some people don't like silence. But see what happens. See if it changes your experience of God because he might suddenly be there like, whoa, they're not talking, they're listening. Wow, I might be able to get a word in edgewise here. (laughs) Well, I'm talking about myself here. Uh, The world-renowned New Zealand theologian, Bruce Billington, who who recently officially obtained his bachelor's degree in theological studies. (laughs) We're very proud of him. He says, 
Biblically, biblically, when God speaks, he creates. So God has to be careful what he says. What if God was like, we are sometimes like, ah, oh, you're an idiot. You know, We would become that if God spoke to us like that. So God measures his words very carefully. Uh, we need to test everything that we believe is from God with the word of God. When we truly hear from God, it changes us, it lifts us, it moves us from one degree of glory to another. For those of you who are in a season of the silence of God, what we perceive as God's silence has more to do with our senses than reality because the reality is God is speaking constantly all the time. He speaks to us more than we think, but less in the way that we think. And finally, Thomas Keating said, silence is the language God speaks and everything else is just a bad translation. If you're in a season of God's silence, take heart that silence is not a passive thing with God. But the very silence itself is God speaking. He's saying, I am enough. It's under control. And quietness and trust will be your strength. Thanks, everybody.